How's everyone doing? Oh, I don't know. I don't hear much out there. Well, I am your present minister pastor, whether you know it or not. And I was teaching this morning in the facilities and my time was cut short. So I thought I would finish it here. All right. But first, we want to pray for our pastor that's in Israel. And then we're just going to just get into the goodness of God. Let's pray. Father God, in your name, we thank you so much, Lord, as we pray for Pastor Jeff and those that are traveling with them in Israel. We pray, Father God, that you would just, dear Lord, just make your Bible come alive in their lives, Lord. So, Father God, tonight, as we open up your word, we ask, Father God, that you bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The title of my message tonight is Striving for the Crown. Now, our uh, foundational scripture would be 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. I will give you a minute to get there. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 24 to 27. Do you not know that those who run and erase all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And anyone who competes for a prize is tempered in all things. Now they do it to attain a perishable crown, but you for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into submission. Least when I have preached to others, I myself should not become disqualified. You know, several years ago, I wanted to run in a 5K race, which is 3.1 miles. So even though it was six months away, I began to train, you know, go to gym and get on the treadmill and on the day of the race, when I got there, I was somewhat surprised. They had old people, young people, mothers with baby strollers, people on bikes and people on skateboards. I mean, you name it. I thought it was a running race, but I was surprised. So once the race began, it took me about 10 to 15 minutes to get to the place where I could run at a good and steady pace. My problem was I started at the back of the race. I got there a little bit too late. You know, I had to get my uniform and get ready, you know, get my little number on the cross. I was ready. You know, I had to overcome many different obstacles from mothers pushing their baby strollers People walking, people riding bikes, skateboards, and people who didn't even know why they was even there, but they was there. The motivating factor for everyone in the race was just to get to the finish line. For some, it didn't even matter what time they got there. It could have been seven days later. It didn't matter. They wanted to get to the finish line. what we all had in common. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, Paul uses a metaphor 
to paint the picture to the Christians' believers at Corinth on how they should live the Christian life. See, it's a way you got to live the Christian life. You can't live it any way you want to. You just can't shape God the way you want to. You got to run it in a way. And that's the picture Paul was painting to the Corinthians. Now, to let you know a little bit about Corinth, it was like modern day Las Vegas. I mean, they had it going on in Corinth. They were saying, what's done in Corinth stays in Corinth. Paul said, I don't think so. You know, there are all kinds of people in the city of, of Corinth. You know, they brought their own religions. The city was a mixture of Greeks, Romans, Ardeans, you name it. There was very little understanding of the ways of this new religion in town, which was Christianity. The Christians' teaching went against the grain of everything that was done in Corinth. Remember, it's like Las Vegas. Corinthian was the home of the temple of Aphrodite, Artemis. She was supposed she was she was supposed to be the goddess of sexual love and pleasure. That's been said that one thousand temple prostitutes served at the temple. You know the Corinthians had been in this environment for a long, long time. Reminds me in the book of Exodus. You know they prayed for four hundred and thirty years for God to deliver them. And as soon as they crossed over the Red Sea, they started disobeying the Lord. That's why Moses had to go to the mountain and get them Ten Commandments because they was all messed up. Living in that pagan world. They didn't even know how to even worship God. And not even they didn't know how to worship God, they didn't even know how to treat each other. The first four commandments say, this is your relationship with God. The next six is our relationship, human relationships. But they didn't know. And that's the way the Corinthians were. They wanted to bring in all that pagan stuff into the church. Paul said, no, 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 we can't have that. See, Paul had to straighten them out. And Paul had to spend time in teaching them how to serve the Lord. See, Paul knew what he's up against. He loved the people of God. See, we should love people of God. We should love to hang around people of God. You know, just like we was in the world, you know. You didn't hang around godly people in the world, did you? You hang around all those people did the same thing you did because you had something in common. And Paul knew, see, your heart should change when you come to the Lord. You shouldn't have the same heart. And that's what Paul was doing. When you take a stand for Christ, there's always going to be some opposition. Because people love their sin. I mean, they love it. So don't take it personal when they come against you. They're not hating you. They hated Jesus, didn't they? What make you think they're not going to hate you? See, those that are in Corinth, they begin to question Paul's authority. They said, uh, he was not one of the twelve. 
What's wrong with him? Therefore, he, he couldn't be a genuine, a genuine apostle. But Paul says, wait a minute, let's, let's, let's bag this stuff up. You know? He says, I seen Jesus, our Lord, at the resurrection. That's number one. Number two, aren't you not my work in the Lord? In other words, Paul had led them to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He said, did God not change your life? He says, if you have any doubt of my apostleship, then you better examine yourself. That's what he said. Because your life has changed. Examine yourself and see that you've been saved. See, Christians should always examine their lives. See, in prison, the inmates already know where they're at. They're at the bottom. See, they already know. And that's the same thing for you and me. We should always be checking ourselves and see if we're drifting from the gospel of Christ. But as Paul was speaking to them, he says, but if you are, then you yourself are living proof that I'm a genuine apostle. See, when you say you're a Christian, people be looking. They be checking you out. Seeing if you said a cuss word. You know, seeing if you uh, go into the liquor store, if you go on by the, the liquor counter. They be watching you to see if you're genuine. Then Paul, they got to the topic of financial support. So they questioning Paul right now. I'm just going to touch on it briefly. As this was written in the law of Moses, if a man is doing the work of the Lord, he should be supported if he's doing the work of the Lord. He said only Cabernet and Barnabas have the right to Refrain from work. Then Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12, he says, in the New Living Translation, he said, if you support others who preach to you, should we have an even a greater right to be supported? But we have never used this right. Paul said, I have a right. I have a right just like they have a right. But we never even ask for anything from you. We would rather put up with anything than to be an obstacle for the good news about Christ. Paul said, I'm not looking for any money. It's about the gospel of Christ, is what he's saying. You know, we have in our Christian community, people love to read about Paul. Oh, we, we, we love us and Paul. You know, Paul wrote all these books from the New Testament we love, but they don't realize that Paul was in a maritime prison. He was in a hole in the ground. And you know what he was doing? He was encouraging one another in the Lord. You know, we got people that got loved ones in prison. They don't write no letters to them. They don't reach out at all. But they say they love the Lord. But they don't love the Lord when it comes to encouraging someone. But Paul was in prison. We're always talking about Paul. But Paul was writing to encourage people. 
In 1 Corinthians 9, 14 and 18, he says, in the same way, the Lord ordered those. Let me start over again. In the same way, the Lord ordered that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. Verse 15, yet I have never used any of these rights. I am not writing this to suggest that I want you to start now. In fact, I would rather die than lose my right to boast about preaching without charge. That shows the heart of an individual that loves the Lord. Paul said, I'm not there for anything else but to love Christ. That's the way it should be in our lives. We should be embarrassed to share the gospel of Christ. We shouldn't stop sharing Christ because once we leave the church, it's over with. We got a gigantic mission field out there. That's what Paul is saying here. Without charge, he said, but verse 16, he said, yet preaching the good news is not something I can boast about. I am compelled by God to do it. How terrible would it be for me if I didn't preach the good news? No, Jeremiah, you know, Jeremiah, no, he's going to stop preaching. But he said the word was all shut up in his bones. What does that mean? Man, it was all in his body. Is the word of God in your body? Or just floating around in your head up there? See, it should compel you when you see somebody who don't know the Lord. You should be able to move forth. That's how powerful the world is. That's why we can't experience the power of Christ in our lives because we doubt it. It said it compelled him, it moved him to teach the good news. Paul says, I am compelled by God to teach the gospel because why? He loved to see lives changed. He loved to see life changed. We got to look around today. Some of us had some messed up lives and God came in and gave us life. We didn't even have life. Well, let me tell you something. He's still doing it today. He's still doing it today. Let me ask you a question. You only got a testimony from 2000? Maybe you only got a testimony from 1999? When the last time you led somebody to the Lord? That's why God saved you. That's why he saved you. And it should be that the way for every Christian to see people coming to Christ. You got a mission field out there. Wherever it's at, grocery store, work, it don't matter. It's a mission field out there. We got a world today that is full of internet Christians, Facebook Christians, Instagram Christians. If you don't know how to spot them, I'll tell you how to spot them. They're really 50 years old when they make themselves look 25. See? They never talk about the things of God. Only thing they talk about is what's going on in the world. They never say how many people they led to the Lord. They never quote scripture. Matter of fact, they really don't believe in the scriptures. You ever see somebody on the internet that you personally know? And you know they're not telling the truth. You know. See? And you know why? Look at their profile. They'll tell you all about it. You look at their profile. 
What if Jesus said to Peter, Peter, get on Facebook. John, get on Instagram. See, nines will be saved today. We just be a bunch of confused people. But it says in Mark 6, chapter Mark 6, 7 and 9, he said, he called the 12 to himself and began to send them out two by two. Gave them the power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing with them on the journey, but accept a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper, and their money belt, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. See? See, on the social media, you can be anything you want to be. You can tell people all kinds of things. But God wanted to make it personal. That's why he told him, I'm going with you. Because I want people to see you, see me and you. He can't see you behind a screen. He can't see that. That's why he says, go out too by two and take nothing with you because I'm the one that's going to be with you. So when people reject you and your heart is hurt, I'll be the one there to give you comfort. That's what he's saying. I'll be there. And if they don't want to help you, I'll be there. That's why I'm telling you not to take anything with you and trust me. God is asking each and every one of us to trust him. Because he wants to change our lives. He wants to do something in our lives. You can't be holding on to your material things. You can't be holding on to your job. That's why I told him because God cannot become real when you're holding on to stuff. That's why he told them, just go. I'm going with you. Trust me. Trust God. Because people need to see that. You can tell people all day long when you're going, I'm trusting God, but you're falling apart. People ask you, what's wrong with you? Nothing. You know, what? You know, you, you, you all shaking up and tears up and nothing. I got some dirt in my eye. See? People need to see Christ in you. They don't need to hear you talking. They don't need you sharing somebody else's quote on the internet. They need to see you. Because when they see you, that's you. They'll be able to tell if you're real or not. We got a lot of perpetrators running around here. Now let me tell you how to spot a real Christian on Facebook and the internet. Let me tell you how. First thing you do, look at their profile, right? You know, they loving Jesus and you know, they sending out all this little stuff, man, they encourage you. But see, it's constant. You, know, you don't look on that one week, they ain't talking about Jesus, and the next week they're talking about it. See, the profile is constant. You'll see them, you know, and they got the pictures on there, leading people to Christ, asking for prayer, inviting Christians to come out to functions, and to be engaged in the world. And their posts are always pointing to the Lord. Know anybody like that? No, you don't. Anyway, but <laughs> always pointing to God. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Not pointing to yourself. You need to be pointing to God. We got a generation of young people out here. 
They looking at you. They watching you. Whatever you watch on TV, they watching. Your conversation, they be listening. You don't think they do, but they be listening to them conversation. And they're looking for someone to guide them. They're looking for someone. You think the devil, I read the Bible a lot of times. I never saw the devil going on vacation. He ain't going on vacation. You might think he does, do, but he don't go on vacation. I just want to let you know. He doesn't go to Hawaii in the middle of the winter. I just want to let you know that in case you think he goes on vacation. He busy. You see, and when you're doing something you ain't supposed to be doing, that's what he wants you to do because he's busy. See, because what? He's on a mission. We have a world today. Kids don't even know what's going on. I don't care if you're in the ghetto or you sitting up in some college somewhere because you got professors, generally they're atheists, and you didn't raise your kids all your life in church. You wonder why they come home, they don't believe in nothing. Because you ain't built no foundation. Just can't take kids to church, drop them off. Because you are the closest thing they're going to see to Jesus. And if you ain't showing at home, what you expect? Got to be pouring to the God. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 and 23. Paul's working here. Just in case you didn't know, he's working. For those, for though I am free from all men, I made myself a servant to all that I might win more. You like that? I did. Let me sing it again. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I may win the more. Paul said, I'm on a mission. I got to save people. Got to save people. That should be our hearts. No, most time we run around our three friends, right? Me, myself, and I. We like them. That ain't what Paul's saying here. He says, I might win more. Oh, check this one out, because it's real good. To the Jew, I became a Jew. That I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as the law, that I might win those who are under the law. Verse 21. To those who are without the law, as without the law, not being without the law towards God, but under Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. Verse 22, he says, to the weak I became as weak. That I might win the weak. I may become all things to all men that by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I might be partakers with you. Paul said, I don't care. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you do. My life is for Christ. Can you say that? Because I'm trying to say it. That's what he's saying. Paul said, I don't care who you are. But we got Christians today. They're all in the political scene. I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. I'm an independent. No, you should be a Christian. See, that's what you need to be. But we are so caught up in the social media, we can't see that. We can't see that that's the enemy's scheme. And to keep us divided. 
We're supposed to be, have more power than anybody on the earth. It says 60 million evangelical Christians. I'm still looking for them because I ain't seen them. See, we should be a voice in this world, and we just quiet as a little, little, little Lord forgive me. We quiet. See, he says, Paul said, I'm not into racism. I'm not into religion. I'm into Christ. That's what he's saying. Now, you might be in the church. Yeah, maybe that's what you might be in. You might be in this, in this program. No, 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 no. Paul says, I'm in to Christ. See, on the day of judgment, what do you think you're going to walk up to? Hey, Jesus, I'm here. He said, wait a minute. We got to put some of your stuff in the fire and see what's coming out. See, think you're going to walk up into heaven like everybody else? Oh, no. In case you got it twisted, let me tell you, it's going to be a judgment seat. It's called a beamer. We're going to see what your motives were while you were serving on the earthship board or when you was working in prison ministry. We're going to find out what your motives is. Just ain't going to walk up to heaven. You know? No, 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 no. What's what Paul says? Verse 24. Do you know that those who run in a race all run but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may attain it. Now, right here, a, a few people might say, uh, Paul might have been a little sarcastic here. You know. I would say that he was laying his heart out. Paul spent the last four verses sharing with the people about his heart. He doesn't care anything but about Christ is what he's saying. Those who ever question his heart, Paul make it very clear. Paul said, I don't do it for no money. I don't do it for no fame. I do it because I love Jesus Christ. I do it because it motivates me. It compels me. That's what Paul was saying. Now, remember, he is speaking to the, to the group of Christians in Corinth, the small group of people that are surrounded by all these heathens. And Paul is laying out his heart because he wanted them to understand where he was at, what Christ meant in his life. See, I still got friends in the world, and I've been known for 25 and 30 years, but you know, if our conversation is not about the Lord in two minutes, I have nothing else to say. Because all you're going to do is start going back in that past life. I've been saved from that. I don't want to hear none of that stuff, but I pray for them. I pray for them. Paul, once again, as we spoke about early in verse 24, that he used the metaphor to draw their attention by using the Isthmus games which they were familiar with. The Isthmus Games were held near Corinth once every two years to honor Poseidon, the mystical god of the sea. The Isthmus Games were considered second only to the Olympic Games that are held every four years. Paul uses the games to deliver a spiritual metaphor to the Corinthian church on how to live 
the Christian life. With self-discipline, the ultimate goal for eternal reward in heaven. See, Paul did not want them to be confused. Paul, as he uses metaphor, he's, he's, he's talking to them in a language that they can understand. They understood the games. And Paul wanted to make sure that they understand that they're in a race. That their lives have been changed. So now he has their attention. See, now they're tuned in to what Paul is saying. Because there's a lot of things that are going around in Corinth. All the distractions. A lot of these these Christians have been into other religions. Can you imagine? They're, they're, They're walking to church. And all of a sudden, you got their friends from the other temple you know, hollering in the air and tell them to come back and come back and you remember this and you remember that. Paul had to speak from the heart to, to them. And so now he brings up the games that they are familiar with. And he says, once again, he says, do you not know that those who run, run a race all run, but one receives the prize, run in such a way that you may attain it. You know, before we became Christians, the devil had, on, had us on what they call a merry-go-round. To some, it's known as a carousel. It's a ride that you will find in an amusement park. It's circular in diameter, And on the merry-go-round, you will find many different horses, many different colors and shapes and sizes. But before the ride will start, you pick out your favorite horse. And the merry-go-round operated like this. The motions of the rider would be just and down, up and down, up and down. Simulating if you was really riding on a horse. Up and down, up and down, up and down. That's where the devil had us. And we thought we were in control of our lives, but he had us on that merry-go-round. We thought we were living our own lives. Find ourselves doing the same thing over and over and over again with no hope. That's how the devil operates. Tell yourself, well, you know, uh, I need to change my life. You know, been out all night, thinking, got a headache, you know, hollering at my wife, hollering at my kids. I'm getting tired of that. Spending all my money before I get home from work. I'm getting tired of that. So you find yourself sometimes, oh, whole week went by, I didn't do anything. Two weeks go by, I ain't done nothing. One month go by, I'm doing good. And you find yourself right back there, going around and around and around and around. See, going around and around. That's how it works. 
But he says in verse 24, do you not know that those who run in the race all runs but receive the prize? But run in such a way that you may attain it. Oh, I like that verse. Just keep coming back and back and back. But when you come to Christ, you now enter the race. You're not on the merry-go-round anymore. See, as long as you're on the merry-go-round, you didn't have any direction. You just locked into the world. Here you go. You know, I give me a job. I buy me a house. I buy me a car. You know, go to work. Pay for the house. Pay for the car. Go to work. I ain't got enough money. Get over time. Ride in a car. Around and around and around and around. And then they tell you, okay, we don't need you no more. You're too old. You need to go. Okay? That's what you You need to go. Then you find yourself wondering what you're going to do with your life. So now I think I got enough money. Let me go travel the world. Once you get through traveling, then what? See, without Christ, you don't have no life. Because you know what? You might start out at 18, but you keep on living, you're going to be about 80 years old wondering where life went. See, but without Christ, you don't have no life. Your life and your focus is on this world. God's focus is eternal. Eternal. As Paul was speaking to them, he says, the people entering the race, they trained for months. Their goal was to win, not to lose. See, they understood that. You don't go through all that pain and agony and you tell yourself, well, I'm just going to join the race to lose. No. They knew better than that. He said, even though in the back of their minds, that might have been a possibility that they may lose, but they trained to win. You know, when I gave my life, rededicated my life to Christ back in 1991, I didn't say, well, this is only going to last a few months. What if my faith was like my salvation? In other words, when I got saved, I have never doubted that I'm going to heaven. Not one time. But when I got problems in my life, oh, God, can you do it? I don't know. You know, you did it for that. I don't know if you can do it for me. See, doubt comes in your mind, but I never doubted my salvation. I'm still, praise God, working my faith like that, but never doubt it. He says, all this for one prize, run in such a way that you may attain it. When the Lord led me to Calvary Chapel, South Bay in 1991, I needed help. Now, I don't know why you're here tonight, but I needed some help. When I pulled up in that parking lot, I didn't even know where I was at. See, in a black church, they got crosses. They ain't got no dove. I know what that was. It could have been a supermarket. I didn't know. But I got out of my car. I'll be honest with you. I can't even tell you how I got there. I got out of my car, and I walked in. All right. Walked in there, nice sunny day. This, this gentleman was on the stage in his Hawaiian shirt. I didn't know his name was Pastor Steve, but, you know, in the black church, we wear suits. You know, he ain't running around now. I don't know if he was giving announcements or what. I didn't know he was a pastor. I ain't never been like that before. But I needed help. And I sit there. He taught me through Genesis to Revelation, the whole counsel of God. 
I never thought I'd be standing up here because I was messed up. You know, in the prison, we say toe up from the floor up. And that's the way I was. But the moment I rededicated my life to the Lord, I entered that race. And I had to learn how to run. You know, the first thing I had to do, I had to stop being a drive-by Christian. Drive-through Christian. If you don't know what drive-through is, go to McDonald's. Jack in the box. Wednesday. That's drive-through. You know, you don't even have to say hamburger, shakes, or fries. Just give me a number one, supersizing. Drive-by Christian. And I'm quite sure we got some here today. You're a drive-by Christian. So you might get full, but it has no nutritional value. See, when you're a drive-by Christian, you be asking yourself the question, you know, why God ain't doing this and why God ain't doing that? See, I didn't know I was sick. See, a drive-through Christian always going to be sick. See? Let me tell you how I had to work, how I, how I had to stop being a drive-by Christian. I had to be on church on time when it comes to worship. See, to prepare my heart for what God needs to say to me. Now, I know some of you out there like movies, don't you? You don't be coming in half, when half the movie's over with. Before they even get started, you said eating popcorn and cracker jacks and drinking sodas and, you know, the the, 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 the haven't even came on yet. But you're sitting there. But when it comes to the house of the Lord, you be saying, like, you know what time church starts. You know when it starts. Well, you know, uh, I'm a t- you know what time it starts. See, I had to stop changing my habits around and, and, and have priorities that I need to have my heart prepared to hear the word of God. Had to stop coming to church in the middle of the service. Had to stop that. Had to begin to discipline myself. And what happened? I became a sit-down Christian. You know, I started to, you know, cook with God. Making kind of gasadas and steaks and potatoes and beans and tortillas. Sitting down eating with God. See. Sitting down having cornea with God. See. That's the only way your life is going to change. So you got to be a sit down Christian. And as long as you are not a sit down Christian, you're going to be a drive through Christian and you're going to worry while you're sick all the time. You can't hear the voice of God. You don't know the purpose for your life. Because you ain't got no time for God. See, that's called running with God. It's what Paul was trying to teach them. You got to run with God. 1 Corinthians 9.25. Oh, sorry about that. Praise it. I get excited. I get excited. You know what I mean? I get real excited when it comes to the word of God. It's life. What did Jeremiah say? It's all in my bones. Oh, my goodness. I know he didn't say that, but he did. Verse 25, he says, for everyone who competes for the prize is tempered in all things. Now they do it to attain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. He said temper. He said they become disciplined in their training. Now, these are runners. They just don't eat anything, you know. Greasy burgers and all this. They don't eat none of that. 
They train and discipline the eating, the sleeping, and proper training because they're serious. So you want to be a, a, a serious Christian. You say you gotta, you gotta, you gotta buckle down. You gotta train for discipline. They were doing all this stuff, and what were they doing it for? A perishable crown, a piece of celery with no peanut butter. You know, you know, a, a crown with just a bunch of leaves on it. That's that's, and they were serious about that. They weren't playing. But we do it for an imperishable crown that we will lay at the feet of Jesus one day. I just don't want to throw some stuff down into the Lord. That's why I run. Because why? You know why God has given you hindsight? So you can look at your life without him. You know? Trying to be your own God. That's why I let you give you some hindsight. You ever drive the car? You driving, you looking in the rearview mirror, you don't hit something. You gotta look straight through the windshield. That's what God wants. He wants to take you straight through. He says in 1 Corinthians 9 26, therefore I run thus not with uncertainty, but I fight, not as one who beats the air. Run with faith. Don't run like you don't know where you're going. You are going to keep your mind and thoughts on the prize. See, the prize is heaven. We got to run. We got to keep our mind focused on heaven. You know, you remember high school? Oh, I know it's going to be tough for some of y'all to go back that far. But high school, you know, they had the basketball team and they had the football team now. Basically, you're in high school for like three years. You already know who's on the football team and the basketball team, right? Now, what about that dude to go down to the store and buy him a varsity jacket and put a seal? You know good and well he's not on the team. We got Christians like that. Carry their Bibles. Speak that Christian Easter. They far from being a Christian. They just trying to look like one. It's the same thing. Paul said, Run. With faith. Don't run like you don't know where you're going. And keep your mind on the prize. Then he comes back and uses another metaphor. You know, like a boxer. Shadow boxing, you know. Don't run like you don't know where you're going. If you're not praying and reading your word, attending church, you don't know where you're going. Got a lot of people out there that have been taken away by false religion because they don't know where they're going. See? He said, don't run like that. Run like you know where you're going. Say, use the weapons that God has given you to fight with. When you read the book of Ephesians, 6, 12, it tells you to put on the armor. You know? Certain way you got to put it on, right? He didn't say put the helmet on sideways. No, he didn't say put the, put the breastplate on reverse. No. Certain way you got to wear it in order for it to be e- equipped to use it a certain way. And God has given us weapons to fight with. He said in verse 27, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. 
least when I have preached to others, I myself should not be disqualified. Paul said, I just don't run anyway. He's saying, all that Christ has done in and through my life, I'm grateful. You know, sometimes when we go through trials and tribulations in our lives, we, and even I'm including myself, I just wish God just take it all away. You know, I don't want to go through God. You have the power to do that. But what will we learn? We wouldn't learn anything. And most of all, we wouldn't learn anything about God. See, God would, would work with us and he wants you to work with him. So you can see his power. You can see his love and concern for you. Paul say, it's my responsibility to discipline my body and bring it under subjection, at least when I have preached to others. See, Paul wanted people to know that he loved the Lord. Paul wanted people to know that he was a true Christian. See, Paul wanted them to know. Because preaching the word and sharing the word has so much meaning in his heart. But he says, when I preach to others, I myself will not become disqualified. You can't settle in as being a Christian. You cannot live on what the Lord even did for you five minutes ago. This is a race that we're in. That's what it is. See, Paul loved God so much that as he spoke his words, he was careful on how he carried himself. He was careful how he was speaking to others because he said myself that I should become disqualified. Paul was saying, my body won't control me. I will bring it under control. See, See, the problem is that we got a lot of people making excuses. And it's true that you can't do it. But what it says in Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. Not some things, not a few things. He says all things. And when things ain't going your way, <laughs> you can try on some Romans 8.28. All things work together for good for those who love God who are called according to his purpose. Whoa, I know he didn't say that. See, you got to tie these things together. See, God ain't going to let no harm come to you. You let harm come to yourself because you are not disciplined. The Lord's not going to let any harm come to you. He knew the power of the flesh in his past life. He knew the power. See, you need to know the power of your flesh. It has to be beaten 24-7 all the way down. Because you can leave this sanctuary tonight and you can go out that door and you be asked about 10 minutes, how did I get here? That's how powerful it is. If you don't believe it, you read Romans chapter 7. Paul tells him, the things I want to do, I don't do. Go on and on. You've got to know who your enemy is. The world, the flesh, and Satan. You've got to know that. 
But Paul knew that. And Paul did not want to be disqualified. In the 1996 Olympics, Kerry Shrugs, the Olympic gymnast, had the weight of the Olympic gold for her team on her shoulders. As she had to do, all she had to do was have a successful vault and the United States would win the gold. There was one problem. When she did her first vault, she sprained her ankle and she could barely walk. She fell. She did not get the score she needed for the U.S. team to win. As she sat there on the mat with tears falling down her face, she cried for two reasons. One, she was in pain. And two, there was no other way she could make the score to win the victory in this situation. But she had another jump. She had another vault. She got up. She felt like giving up. But a coach stood on the sidelines and said, you can do it, Carrie. I believe in you. You can do it. As she limped to get ready to try to do the vault, she could barely move. She told an interviewer after the vault that all she could do was to keep her eyes on her coach. He kept her from focusing on her ankle. She was crying, but she had an encourager who believed in her. She found the strength from his encouragement that she didn't even have. Even with the limp, she took off running and did her flip on the vault. She had to nail the landing in order to win. With a coach's encouragement holding her up, she conquered her impossibility. She earned a high enough score for the U.S. team to win the goal because she had an encourager. Do you need an encourager tonight? Are you getting tired in the race? And if so, I want you to stand up tonight so we can pray. If you don't have any more energy to run this race, I want you to stand up so we can pray. If you can't see yourself 
out of the situation, I want you to stand up and pray. If you're running sideways and you can't even stay between the lines, I want you to stand up and pray. Because you need to stand up and pray. Everybody's running this race. There's not one perfect individual in this sanctuary tonight. You shouldn't be ashamed to stand up for the Lord because you stood up for other things that had no value in your life. Just look at your life, where you came from, what God has done for you. You should be jumping up right now, thanking God for what he's going to do in and through your life. You got family members that don't know Christ. You got loved ones that don't know Christ. You just say, Lord, help me. Help me, Father God, to share your word because I know you're coming back. You called me to do what? You called me to teach and share the gospel. And that's what you should be doing. As I said earlier, many you don't even have a testimony. And that's not really cool. I'm telling you right now. The only thing in your life that you should be standing up for Christ. Because some was, was, was drunks, drug addicts, just evil people in general. But when it comes to the gospel of Christ, you should be thrilled about it. That's what Paul was saying. Paul said, it compelled me. And if it don't compel you, you need to check yourself. Because Jesus Christ came, he said in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and that whosoever believe in him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. That's why he came. He saw you out there doing nothing. He saw a whole world. And that's why he came. That's why he came. I'm so excited right now. Let's pray. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, in your name, Lord, you see your children standing up before you now, Lord. We know, Father God, that many of them have been through a lot of things in their lives, Lord. I know, Father God, some of them have been through things in their lives, Lord, that they wouldn't even tell anybody about what they've been through in this life, Lord. And so, Father God, I just want to pray for them right now, dear Lord, that you would just strengthen them through your spirit, Lord. I pray, Father God, right now, Lord, in the name of Jesus, Lord, for their lost loved ones, Lord, I pray. I pray, Father God, in the name of Jesus, dear Lord, that you would just fill them with your spirit right now, Lord. I pray, Father God, right now, Lord, that you would just give them energy, Lord, to keep on keeping on, Lord. I pray, Father God, that you would just rain down your peace upon their lives right now, dear Lord. Those that are here right now, Father God, are struggling with many things in their lives, Lord. Would you touch them right now, Lord? Would you remind them, Father God, you say in Isaiah 26, 3, that I will keep you in perfect peace, whose mind has stayed on thee, who trust in the Lord, Father God. May they stand upon the promises of your word, Father God, because you are mighty God. You say in Mark 9, 23, that there's nothing impossible for you, Lord. And so, Father God, I pray for them right now, Lord. I pray, Father God, that you just give them a love for your word, Lord, I pray, Lord. I pray, Father God, that they can bask in the glory of your word, Lord. And so, Father God, tonight, Lord, I want to thank you so much for them, Lord. I thank you, Father God, that we can meet in your place tonight, Lord. We want to give you all the praise and the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord.